Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 31. It's sermon time. Who's ready for sermon? If you're not, there's a church down the street that doesn't preach the Bible. They'd love to have you. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kind of kidding. Um, Huh? Bible time. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 31. It's been great in our Genesis series. We have watched God create the heavens and the earth. We've watched him for the first uh, five days of creation, create the earth, form the earth, fill the earth, and prepare the earth for the apex of God's creative work, which is the man and the woman. And so today, this morning, we're going to look at day six of creation, the creation of human beings. You know how I know our Lord is good? He made man on a Friday, just in time for the weekend of college football. Amen? Amen. Love the Lord. He's kind to us, and we are creatures of Friday. Um, Let me start off with uh, an interesting question. I want to ask you to consider, what does it mean to be a human being? You ever thought about that? You are one, I think. Um, What does it mean to be a human being? Uh, I want you guys to take a look to your left right now. Look at that person next to you. You're looking at the back of their head, because I turned to ask you all to look (laughs) It's all right. Now look to your right. Look around. You see those people? Those are humans. Those are human beings. If you're sitting with your siblings, you might disagree, but I assure you, those two are human beings. Um, Have you ever thought about that? We are really complex creatures. Each one of you in the room is an amazing creature, right? A human being. You are full of, you have your own will and emotions and thoughts, ideas, productive activity, dynamic relationships with other human beings. But what does it mean to be a human being? Are we just animals like every other type of animal? Are we really just um, some more highly evolved apes? Or is there something distinct about our kind of life? Human beings, you and me, is there, are we elevating ourselves too high to think that maybe we are different than the animals? And by the way, who gets to define what it means to be human? Uh, maybe we get a vote. We are, after all, humans. Um, so do we form a committee? Do we do some research? Do we cast a vote? How do we decide the value and definition of human life? And who gets to define that? Well, what we're going to see this morning in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, is that God is the one who defines for us what it means to be a human being. Um, God is the author, creator, designer of human life, is the one who will speak to us about what human life is. And so we're going to dial into God and his word this morning. We're going to ask one of the most fundamental questions we can ever ask, which is, who are we, right? In light of God, who are we? And listen to me, City Light, if we get this question figured out, if we can settle in our minds and in our hearts, the answer to the question, who are we as human beings, so much of the rest of life is going to fall into place. This question and answer has bearing on everything, the way we think about and treat ourselves, the way we think about and interact with other human beings. It it affects and influences all of life, and it all begins where we begin in the garden with our Creator, God. And so this morning, um, as you open in your Bibles to chapter 1, we have six verses that we're going to hit this morning. We're going to be introduced to our own species, human beings, hear what God has to say to us in these six verses. We're going to divide our six verses up into three points. I've got some fill-in-the-blank notes on your note sheets, which is rare for me, and so do enjoy that. It is my gift to you. Uh, Take some notes, three points. We're going to keep it nice and easy this morning. Uh, This this morning's sermon is very foundational. It's very important. It's very truthful, and uh, I pray that God would shape us through it and impact us through his living word. And so here we go. Point number one. Human beings are image bearers of God. 
Human beings are image bearers of God. I did a little research this week on the Google search engine. It got a new uh, logo. Did you notice that? Kind of threw me. I like the old one. Anyway, I did some research, and uh, I found out that Donald Trump is worth $4 billion. Did you know that? Um, how much is Donald Trump worth? He's worth $4 billion. You'd think with a haircut or with money like that, you could get a haircut a little bit better than that. Man has a dead squirrel on his head. Somebody help. I don't know what is going on there. Uh, that's pretty impressive. $4 billion. That's more than me. Uh, Warren Buffett is worth $66 billion. Our own Oracle of Omaha, $66 billion. So I did some research. I figured out that my net worth, if I sell off all assets and my home, I'm worth about 100 bucks. So praise the Lord. Uh, we've got a salesman that sells insurance in our congregation. He's very convincing. And so I'm worth a whole bunch dead, probably twice as much as I should be. Uh, but if things go awry, my wife and kids will be fine. Don't get any ideas, honey. Um, so I, I, I think by financial reasons, I'm worth a lot more dead than alive. And I'd like you to consider this morning, what are you worth? What's your net worth? What is your value? Maybe the better question that we all need to ask is, how in the world do we even figure that out? Right? When it comes to valuing human life, um, if we leave it up to our own kind of reasoning and logic and thinking, we'll tend to assess and value life based on talent, finances, race, age, fame, relationship, maybe health. Um, but this is really important. When we value human life, we don't start with us. Who do we start with? We start with God. We start with the author, creator of human life, and we're going to look to his word, and we see that when God created the man and the woman, our first parents in the garden, he made them unique from all the rest of creation, right? The creation narrative kind of slows down this week, as we've seen the first five days, and then he's going to slow down on day six, and actually in two weeks, he's going to really slow down in chapter two and zoom in on the creation of the man and the woman that we're going to look at. But I want to see how we're introduced to our own kind this morning. Look with me in verse 26. We get a hint of our value. This is our first introduction to human beings in the Bible. It says this, God says, let us, remember that's Trinity, plural, one God, three persons, God talking amongst himself, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 1.26, first time humans come up in the Bible. Again, we see it in verse 27, the very next verse of the Bible. It's actually the first poem that we get in Scripture. For, so for you artsy folks who write poetry and raps, good for you. Uh, our Lord is as well. And he wrote a poem, and here's what he says. So God created them in his own image. In the image of God. I think there's something he wants us to get there. He created them. Male and female, he created them. Unique from all other forms of creation, animal, plant life. God creates the man and the woman in the garden, and he makes them distinct. And here's how he describes them. God creates them in his image. City Light, I want you to know this morning that God has made us in his image, bestowing upon us immeasurable and inherent value, dignity, and worth you are valuable because God is valuable, and you bear his image. Now, it's 2015, what does it mean to bear an image? Uh, that may be a, a new idea to some of us in the room, but to the original hearers or original readers of the book of Genesis, this would have been a very familiar idea. In ancient cultures, kings would create images of themselves or statues and have those um, images placed in places of their domain and kingship. Okay, so a king rules over a land. He's going to create statues of himself to place in his kingdom. And what those statues said was, this is mine. 
The king is represented here, and so the people would see the king. They would know that this kingdom belongs to the king. Now, if someone were to mar that image of the king, it wouldn't just be an insult to the material of the, of the statue itself. It would be an insult to the king. It would actually be viewed as treason and punishable by death. And so these little images of the king had immeasurable value and worth. They were protected. They were honored. Why? Not because of the stone material that they were made of, but because they were graven images of the king that they represented. In City Light, that's what you are. That's what God is saying. You have immeasurable value and worth because you bear the image of God, our king, and he has placed him in his kingdom, the earth, that we might represent him. We have a measurable value and worth because we represent the king. And so your worth is not based on your social equity, your financial resources, your talents, your age, your health, but on the image that you bear, the ultimate king himself, God. You bear his image. Now, This is a very foundational truth of Christian theology and anthropology and understanding who we are, the intrinsic in the human is a measurable value and worth. You are sacred and valuable because God is sacred and valuable and you bear his image. Hugely significant. (laughs) To live as humans in this world, we need to know our place. And there is God and there's animals. And where are we? We're in the middle, right? We are not the divine, we are not God's goddesses, many gods like pantheism would teach us, but we're, not all, we're also not animals like pop culture at large would tell us that we are. So much goes awry if we, if we get this first point wrong. I think one of the reasons that sexual sin is so rampant in our culture is not that we think too highly of ourselves, that we should rule and govern our own lives, that, that is true, but I think sexual sin is so pervasive in our culture because we actually think too lowly of ourselves. Right? Culture tells us, hey, listen, we're just highly evolved animals. You have animal instincts that you need to yield to. And so if you have an instinct, yield to that. And so we jettison all honor, dignity, and we reduce ourselves to our most basic animal instincts. How unhuman. It's just not human. That's not freedom. That's slavery. God is saying, no, you have more value, dignity, and worth than that. But what does our culture say? Lady Gaga says, do what you want, what you want to my body right? What what does Adam Levine say? Just like animals, we're like animals. No, we're not. We're image bearers. (laughs) Amen? We're not animals. Don't do what you want to my body or yours. It doesn't belong to you or me. That's a statue. It belongs to God and you bear his image. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We need to get this right. We are not animals. Um, I don't think a low view of man just pervades out in culture at large. I think it happens in the church, too, um, in in different ways, similar ways as well with um, sexual promiscuity and low view and different things. But I think even in a very religious-sounding way, here's what we can do kind of in church culture, especially like Reformed church culture, of which City Light would find itself a part of. We tend to view ourselves as kind of hip to say, man, I'm, I'm just a complete, I'm just nothing but sin. I'm just a complete sinner. I just, I I have no, I'm I'm just, I'm a worthless sinner. I'm a worthless, I'm nothing but a pile of sin. Well, I think the sentiment behind that is true and helpful, right? We're not basically good. We're basically sinful. We are sinners, and apart from God's grace, we're unable to remedy our own situation, right? I think that's what we're getting at. But it's a pet peeve of mine when we start our anthropology defining who we are in Genesis 3 with the fall and sin and not Genesis 1, which says, in our truest sense, we are image bearers of God. 
Sinners though we may be, even someone apart from the grace of Jesus still has a measurable and eternal value, dignity, and worth, Christian or not, because they are image bearers of God. Amen? We have a measurable value and worth inside the church, outside the church. We need to understand that we are valuable. Listen to this. You are so valuable that God, when you were dead in your sin, sent Jesus Christ to pay an amazing price to buy you back on a cross. In economics, any economics students, how do we, deva- how do we, how do we evaluate worth? One measurement is what someone's willing to pay for it. What's the value of something? Well, I can list my house for a million dollars, but it's not worth that. What's it worth? Whatever someone's willing to pay for it. What was God willing to pay for you? The life of his eternal son, amen? You have immeasurable, immeasurable worth, and this is so liberating. Let me just speak some liberation into our church. Some of you, every day, wake up, put your pants on, and feel like you need to prove yourself to the world that you might receive honor, notoriety, and recognition. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need to do that. You have value, worth, dignity, honor. You deserve respect by virtue of being an image bearer of God alone. You have a measurable value and worth. That's incredible. So liberating. Um, I, I think that it, this is important not only for the way that we understand and value and treat ourselves. It's immeasurably value, valuable as we think about society. How do we interact with other human beings? In this complex world, how do we treat other image bearers? If we miss this most fundamental point that human life is valuable and sacred from conception to final natural death, uh, we open the door to all kinds of, of, of horrible, uh, evil atrocities in the world. Um, Charles Darwin, who largely shaped the modern worldview of human anthropology, wrote a very influential book. You probably read parts of it in college if you went to a university. Who remembers the title of his influential book? Origin of Species. Origin of Species, right? Well, that's right in part, Uh, but that's only the first half of the title. Let me tell you the whole title of one of the books that shaped modern anthropology maybe more than any other. The title of the book is this, The Origin of Species by means of natural selection and the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. See, they didn't tell you the the full title in the university because they wanted you to be an evolutionist, but they didn't want you to be a racist, right? It's a bad PC. But that's the whole point of this worldview. If we're basically highly evolved animals, and if it's really all about evolution and natural selection, then we will rank and file human life value, dignity, and worth based on whatever measurements we deem to be the way that we value life. And so it's going to be race, or it's going to be age, or it's going to be birth status, or it's going to be intelligence, right? And the weak will invariably be um, vulnerable to the exploitation of the strong and of the mighty. And, and it makes sense if we're really just highly evolved animals fighting for the preservation of our gene pool or our comfort or our convenience. But the Bible says that all of human life is made in the image of God. He creates the man and the woman, and though, fall, though, though sin enters the world through the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we learn in Genesis chapter 5, and again, Jesus' brother James and Jesus himself in the Gospels affirms that man is an image bearer of God. From conception to natural death, all of human life has a measurable value, dignity, and worth. This sounds extremely fundamental, but it can't be more important, and our world needs to understand this. This is why as Christians, we love even our enemies. This is why we must love those even who do evil and hate us because they still bear God's image. And if nothing else, we are honoring the workmanship of God that created them. 
we will extend dignity even to the worst of criminals, and we hope and pray that they come to him and come back to his intentions for them. This is why as Christians, historically and currently, we, we oppose abortion. We're not anti-women's rights, but we are pro all rights, especially the right to life. Psalm 51, Psalm 139, celebrate and affirm that life in the womb is God's image-bearing life. Those are human beings, and we don't discriminate based on stage of development. We don't kill our old people, and we don't kill our young people, right? Human life from conception to natural death is life, and it's God. Um, it's God's image. It's made by God, and it's to be protected, and it is sacred. But listen to this. We We also do not attack or hate abortion-minded women or women who have had abortions. Why? They are image bearers. You see how that works? We advocate for the unborn and we advocate for the woman. They are image bearers. We don't don't lob bombs. Uh, We don't hate. We don't discriminate. We love passionately and sacrificially, right? We look to help and serve that they might choose life and or find forgiveness for sins of the past. Even abortion-minded or women who have had abortions are image bearers of God, and our call as the church is to love them, to uphold life, guilty life, unborn life, all life is amazing. It is the image bearer of God. Um, one, a couple things that we try to do very practically as a church is, is we partner with the Assure Women's uh, Center. Um, love this ministry. They're in our church in a North Omaha campus and a West Omaha campus, and, and their mission is to serve women that they may choose life, restoring dignity to the woman and to the child. And, and uh, I had um, uh, called over to the office this last week just to, to hear how they're doing this year. This year, since January until this morning, September whatever of 2015, um, they have helped 1,200 and 96 abortion-minded women choose life by providing counseling and free pregnancy services. Those are human beings. Someday, many of us will meet those 1,300 humans, and they will be active members of our church or of our city. They will be uh, educated and, and giving life and joy and awesome image-bearing human beings because of their work. We love life because life is valuable, because God is valuable, and we bear his image. And uh, by the way, I did have uh, Assure Women's Center send over some resources. If you have any interest in partnering with them financially, um, partnering with them with your volunteer, if you want to work with their ministry, we have a lot of work to be done in our city, and they would love your help. And so at the Get Connect uh, little table at the back, you can grab a flyer. I would encourage you to do that. All of human life is valuable. That's why, as a church, we need to be the voice that opposes racism, ageism, sexism, assisted suicide. It's why we care for humans even when they are born. That's why we should care about the marginalized and the poor among us. We should be passionate not only about stopping abortion, but even poverty in our own city and restoring dignity to human life that has lost it. We should care about all of life, pro-life, from, from, from every level that it could be. We don't believe in a superior race, a superior gender, a superior age, a superior economic status. Value and worth are given to us by God. Point one, human beings are image bearers of God. Point number two, human beings are male and female. Deep breath with me. Here we go. In case I haven't offended you yet. Point two... 
Human beings are made by God in his image as male and female. So look again with me at verse 27. It says, so God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. This is a very significant point. Is God chooses to define humanity to humanity. In the very second verse, he's going to distinguish that God has made man as his image bearer, and he has made man as man and as women. And so what we learn is that gender is not a secondary, tertiary, insignificant issue. It's very much interrelated to the whole idea that we are God's image bearers. Here's what that means. Though God himself is not engendered, God is not a man or a woman. Now, God does choose to reveal himself in the masculine. God um, reveals himself to us as our father. He came to the earth as the God-man, Jesus Christ. He reveals himself as a man, but God's uh, image is not revealed in its totality through masculinity. God created man and woman unique, and through the man and the woman, we learn about the nature and the image of God. And so here's what that means for us. We have women and we have men, and they are equal in value, dignity, and worth, yet they are unique in the ways in which they display the image and likeness of God to the world. Very practically, that means that gender comes to us from God. It's assigned by God, and we are to celebrate the unique differences as gifts from God. And so um, let me just break this down. Men, here's what this means. You uniquely display the image of God through your masculinity. What I don't think that means is that God has back hair and loves to hold the remote during the movies, right? I think there's some other ways. The Bible affirms that, that, that men display the image of God as God calls us to be men. It means that you display the heart of God by your selfless and sacrificial leadership in your home. God designed you for labor and hard work to the glory of God and the good of your family. You're designed to be a father, either to biological children, if the Lord should give them to you, or to spiritual children and children of the world. Um, Um, God has designed you to give leadership, to speak truth, to be compassionate, to protect and encourage those that you can influence. What I'm saying is your gender has more to do with the image image bearing of God than it does just your physical anatomy or the way you go to the bathroom, right? You are God's image bearer as a man, and those are related. Women, what that means is you uniquely display the image and likeness of God to the world. In my own estimation and observations, um, you are much more the intelligent of the two genders of the species. Amen? Um, Chris would agree. Uh, He's saying, amen, hallelujah. Uh, I think my wife is much better looking than I, and uh, I think she might have got the the more stacked deck. But women, um, you are, in general, more discerning and gracious, more tenderhearted and thoughtful. Um, I think a lot of times more wise and discerning. Proverbs 31 says that the woman of honor is a woman of strength and dignity. She helps her husband. She plans for her family. She is prepared for the future. Women, you are incredible human beings, and and your gender and sexuality is not secondary uh, to your image-bearing nature of God. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. God has created you in his image as a woman. You have equal value, dignity, and worth with all men, and we have different representations of how we communicate and display God's image to the world. God made us in his image, and he made us male and female, equal in value and worth, different in roles. Now, can we talk about the elephant in the room, right? He just walked in the door. He's like about half the size of the space, and uh, he's very large, and we must discuss him. What is our culture saying about gender right now, right? Do you think this will be a popular message on the interwebs? 
I don't think so. I'll probably get a few emails, right? The culture at large would tell us, whoa, 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 whoa. What right do you have, Gavin, to speak into my gender? My gender is up for me to decide, and, and, and we are really gender-fluid people, and I can choose my gender much like I can um, my vegetables on a line uh, buffet, right? You like corn, I like peas, and I get to pick my gender. And I would say, okay, touche. I have no right to speak into your gender, but I do believe God does. You didn't make you, I didn't make you, God didn't, or you didn't make me, God did make me and you, and he creates us in his image, and he creates us intentionally by design as male and female. Tragically, sin has entered the human equation and has created all kinds of confusion in the area of gender and sexuality, which is why I think it's more important than ever that we start in a pre-fall reality and look at God's initial design, right? And we're going to recognize sin has entered the equation, and it affects all of us. And we're going to need tons of grace from God to work this out. We're going to need tons of grace from each other. But if we're going to submit ourselves to God and be Christians, we need to say, God, what is your design? Would you give me your grace to honor that? I'm going to need your help to do that, right? This is a very confusing issue for many, many people. Uh, We live in a world that doesn't know it was made by God. And that's when things get really confusing, when we're trying to sort out who we are, where, where we came from, where we're going, and what our purpose is, right? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's tragic. Gender is now being taught in schools as an option that we can um, decide and, and that kids are now deciding their gender at a young age like they're picking out their kind of lunchbox for school, right? How confusing for a little kid. How can, they don't even know how to tie their shoes and they got to pick their gender, right? Uh, it's very, 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 very hard. Gender confusion, I, I've watched it uh, personally destroy families, destroy lives. It's a very um, real issue in our culture. Now, let me be clear. Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to lob bombs, and we're not going to judge people in the world with gender confusion, people that have attempted to change their gender. My hope is actually that gender-confused people like Caitlyn Jenner would say, man, when I think of Christians, I think about the most loving the most encouraging, the most infirming, the most thoughtful people in the world. I know they disagree, but I know that they love me. I'm not convinced that Caitlin would probably say that. But that's my desire, that, that we would be known um, less for our Facebook bombs and our witty little quips and memes, and, and more known for our authentic care for human beings. Because guess what? Every person, despite sexual preference and gender confusion, is too an image bearer of God. And we love human beings, and we help them come under the the lordship of Jesus Christ and work that out in the context of loving relationship. And so I want to say this. The reality is um, um, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 brings conviction to all of us, not just to the Caitlyn Jenners, but to you and to me, because sin has entered the equation, and that sin is heterosexual, it's homosexual, it's bisexual, it's male chauvinist, it's feminist, it's transgendered. And and the heterosexual Christian male is just as guilty at maiming the image of God when he exploits his power um, to suppress those around him as the gender-confused man. Because for all of us, we have the choice. We can either be enslaved to our own thoughts and desires, none of which are perfect and batting a thousand, or we can come to God, experience his grace, come under his lordship, and say, Jesus, I need your help to, to work out what it means to be an image bearer as a man or a woman to your glory and the good of the world around us. God creates us male and female. Only a few people left the congregation, so we're doing pretty good. I think I only watched a few people leave. But um, in, in all seriousness, uh, before I wrap up this point, I, I just want to really affirm whatever your thoughts are on gender and sexuality, Jesus does in fact love you. 
and you might be wrong. If you disagree with the Bible, you are wrong, and Jesus loves you as someone who is wrong. And God wants a relationship with you, and he is pursuing you just the way you are. And, and that's really important. I, I want to leave you with that. Human beings are image bearers of God. We are made male and female. God calls the shot. And number three, human beings are on assignment. We're on assignment. God makes man and woman. He makes them in his image. He makes them male and female, and he gives them an assignment. The very first thing he does, verse 28, he puts us on assignment. Read with me verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he goes on. What's the very first thing God did to the man and the woman in the garden? He blesses them. He blesses them. I love that. It shows us something about the priority of our God. He creates a man and the woman. And the very first thing he does is he blesses us. City light, we are blessed. You say, but life is hard. And I say, I know it's hard. Imagine how hard it would be if we weren't blessed. Amen? (laughs) We are blessed. And the first blessing that God gives us in chapter 1, verse 28, is what theologians call the cultural mandate. Tweet that out. You'll sound smart. We have a cultural mandate. What does it mean? In short, it means have babies fill the earth and create culture, right? God says, you're my representatives, and I want you to steward God's green earth. I want you to give leadership to my creation. That is the cultural mandate God gives us an assignment. So let's break it down in two points. Number one, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Um, Okay, so we're to be uh, fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's our blessing. Question for you, are are children blessings or burdens? Blessings. If I haven't offended you yet, I'm about to. Children are blessings, not burdens, okay? We live in a very unique period of human history where more than ever, we as human beings tend to see our offspring as obstacles to our personal goals, comforts, and convenience. We're a weird species that would see our own kind in that way. Singles, more than ever, are delaying marriage. Married couples are delaying kids and are having fewer of them on average. As of this year, Google and Facebook as employers will pay 100% to have their female employees' eggs frozen so that they can be more productive in their younger years when they have energy and delay child-rearing as long as possible. Number one, that's amazing technology. And number two, it's really sad social commentary, isn't it? It's really sad. Since 1960, the size of the average U.S. family has been reduced by 20%. Kids are now viewed in our culture as obstacles or burdens to be delayed and or avoided altogether. Now, let me just say, I get it. Kids are hard. They're noisy. They're not self-aware. I promise you, every time I clean my wife's minivan, the kids don't even get back in, and there are fishy crackers mashed back into the carpet. I don't know how it happens. I vacuum that van so often. You can give a kid a bath, dry him off. He's immediately sticky, running naked, mashing cookies into your carpet. That's reality. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. So, so let me not just paint a fluffy picture. The kids are easy. We should want 500 of them. No, they're very hard, and they are God's blessing to us. That is great, God's great privilege and honor to give us kids, if he would allow us to do so, and to raise those kids. And so at City Light, we're pro-kids. If you haven't figured that out, it's because it's your first week. Just wait till after the service. You'll see them all. Um, It's a small village of small human beings in this place. We are pro-kids because God is pro-kids. Now, how many kids should we have? That's a good question. What do you think? How many kids should we have? You know what the Bible says? It doesn't. 
God gives us discernment, and he gives us wisdom. And some of you have a kid, and your hands are full. God bless you. Thanks for being faithful. Some of you have one or two, and you've said, man, that's, that's what we can do well, and we feel like the Lord has called us to close up shop. And man, thanks for being faithful to what God has given you. What do you call it? Have the snip? Do whatever? I... I'm going to stop. My wife is eyeballing me like, just stop before it gets worse. Don't try to make a joke. Whatever. Uh, some of you have 15 passenger vans. God bless you. His face be upon you, shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you his peace. If you need a CDL to get your family to church, rest assured you've done your part in fulfilling the cultural mandate, okay? So I'm not going to say shut it down. I am going to say pray about it, and if the Lord gives you a peace, I would bless that. You could probably shut her down. Um, <laughs> The reality is, we don't know. What God says is children are a blessing. He gives us wisdom, discernment, the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us. He's going to help us. The idea is that children are a blessing and not a burden. Now, if you're unmarried or single, I want to say, don't think that you can't invest in and love children as well, especially in the church family. What is the church? It's an extended family, and our extended family has lots of kids, lots of kids, and we need your help. And uh, I, I love that, that my kids, um, in our city group, we have a few people that are, that are unmarried, and they become like my kids' uncles and aunts. They love my kids. They bless my kids. They get them birthday presents, and they are helping us to bring them up in the, in the, in the care and uh, favor of the Lord. It's incredible. And so uh, would you make much of those opportunities to bless and serve kids? You might ask, well, what if we can't have kids and we want to have kids? Uh, to that, I would say you desire a good thing. And honestly, that's about a fourth of the child-rearing, um, aged, married folks in our church would love to have kids, and they can't have kids. And um, to that, I would say, number one, I want to affirm your desire. You desire a good thing. That desire is in your heart because God has put that desire in your heart. And if that's where you're at, I want to give you permission. It's okay to grieve. Grieve that you can't have kids, but know that God grieves with you. Cry out to God, experience his presence with you in that grief. And number two, as you pray and wait on the Lord, um, are there opportunities that you can give parenting to kids around you? Like I mentioned, either um, spiritual parenting with kids in our church or even to pursue adoption. Would it be that the Lord would still help you pursue parenting and the raising of kids if you would seek out those opportunities? We are pro-kids, amen? We're pro-kids. Second part of the cultural mandate. So we're supposed to have a bunch of kids fill the earth. Number two, he says, have dominion over the earth. That's a weird word, dominion. Always sounds so, oh, but what does it mean? It just means that we are to give leadership, that this is God's good earth, and we have been given leadership for thoughtful care of God's creation, and we call this culture. So God creates a world. He calls it good. He creates people, and he calls them very good, and then he gives us um, the assignment to take good care of his good earth. And so um, let me offend some more people. What this means is we should actually care about the environment. We should care about animal life and plant life. We should care about the overall health of our planet. I realize that's politically charged on either side, and uh, I'm not picking a side. But what I am saying is despite the politics, we should care about this planet. God has designed it to aid in human flourishing, and I like to flourish, and so let's keep a good planet. Amen? It's not just the planet, it's, it's how we organize human beings on this planet, which means we need to give thoughtful attention to structures and systems, economics, transportation, government, healthcare, music, and the arts. We need to work together to create environments on God's creation that aid in human flourishing. We work together in this. It's a spiritual thing to work on this earth. Um, one of my other pet peeves, something that I 
um, like to talk about a lot is my absolute hatred for this dichotomy between like spiritual occupation and secular occupation. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Um, what do you call that? He doesn't talk about that, right? That dichotomy. Oh, all work is spiritual earth. God creates man and woman, places them in the garden, and doesn't say some of you will be spiritual and become pastors and worship leaders and missionaries, and some of you will have pagan jobs. But if you tithe your check to the local church and share Christ with your colleague, then it's spiritual, right? He doesn't say that, though you should tithe your check. There's a giving box in the very back. I'd invite you to visit that if you haven't. But but listen, you, your work isn't spiritual just if you share the gospel with your neighbor, though you should. It's a spiritual act to be an entrepreneur. God said have dominion over the earth. And when you solve problems and create jobs, you are aiding in human flourishing, and that is a high calling. Stay-at-home moms, that's a high calling. You are caring for God's image bearers. You are creating order where there is chaos. Hallelujah. Lots of it in my house. Sarah, you've got a high calling. It is a high calling to wash dishes, to sell insurance, to wash windows, uh, to sell drapes, to um, be a medical professional. It is a high calling to be an engineer and to pour cement for the city. All of this aids to human flourishing. God has given us his earth and said, care for it thoughtfully and um, with great care as his representatives. Now, as Christians, I think we even more so should... Um, should do better than non-Christians, right? Um, because we approach it from a completely different worldview. We're not rabid capitalists that are just after making more money. We see our whole life, our skill set as stewards. God's earth, God's talents and resources, and God's mission to care for his world. And so I'm going to do it upholding the integri- integrity, value, dignity of human life, right? I'm not just chasing the bottom line, though that's important, and we can care about uh, making money. That, too, is a godly thing. Our North Star is the glory of God, stewarding his earth for the flourishing of human beings. And so um, I just want to say, great job, City Light. Um, Whatever your vocation is, that is your calling. You are God's image-bearing representative where you are, and do it well to the glory of God. Um, now, if you're investing your life in call of duty, we just need to meet this week and have a hard conversation. Amen? Uh, for, that's a video game. I'm really glad that most of you didn't know. That tells me good things. But if you're investing your life in video games, young men, uh, you need to get a job or tutor a kid. Amen? <laughs> Got some kids here in the neighborhood that would love your time. Put the joystick down. We uh, are to fill the earth, steward the earth for God's glory, and that is God's cultural mandate. We are image bearers on assignment. I'll end with this. It's been fun. Um, Next week, we're going to transition into God resting. But in the beginning of the series, we've got to see God speak the cosmos into existence out of nothing. We see his orderly work of creation over six days, culminating in today, the apex of his creative work. And that was you and me, human beings made male and female, formed in his image and likeness with an incredible responsibility to honor and to fill and to steward God's earth. And I want you to know that this matters. What it means is your life has value, meaning, purpose, and direction. You are on divine assignment from God. And I realize some of you are in here this morning and you just aren't convinced yet that you're significant or important. You don't think you're important, but I want to tell you God does. God thinks you're so important that he gave you your, his image, And when you fell into sin, he gave you his son. And I want to encourage you that it's not a prideful thing to say that you have value, dignity, and worth because it's an insult to God to say otherwise. He has made you incredibly valuable. And listen, we see in Genesis 1, God has given us a high standard of human beings, right? 
By the way, represent me, honor your, honor your gender, fill and take care of my earth. And guess what? None of us are batting a thousand. None of us are batting a thousand, right? We have marred the image of God when we sin and take life into our own hands. We mar the image of God when we're male chauvinists or, or, or gender-confused people or everywhere in between. We mar the image of God when we um, see the world as a place to take and not to give, and we exploit our earth and other people for the value of a dollar, and we have all missed the mark as God's image bears. But here's the good news. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that Jesus is the ultimate image. Whereas we bear the image of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that says that he is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is God. And it says that the world is upheld by the power of his word. And it was this Jesus, when we, his image bearers, had fallen into sin, came down to rescue us for his image and name's sake. He came and rather than crucifying us for cosmic treason as image bearers, which he should have done, he stepped onto the cross as an atoning sacrifice for his children out of love for us who bear his image. And by faith in Jesus Christ, he has given back to us the value, dignity, and worth that, that, that we rightly possess as image bearers of God. He's restored our dignity and he's given us a great assignment to love this creation, to love people relentlessly, to utilize our gifts and our talents, our educations, to better the world and glorify God until he comes back to this earth. Amen? So City Light, as we leave this morning, don't get out of your seat, we're not leaving yet. As I wrap this up and we sing and then we leave this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't leave church this morning, leave as the church. We are leaving this place as the church to be architects, engineers, garbage men, um, truck drivers, and teachers to the glory of God, for his glory, and for the good of our species. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are good. I don't know where this sermon hit people in the room, but you do, because your word never returns void, and your Holy Spirit reveals truth, and, and there's something in those six verses that all of us need to hear this morning, God, but I pray that we would leave with a collective sense of feeling the love of God, that we are not insignificant creatures, highly evolved apes. We are image bearers of God. You've bestowed incredible value, dignity, and worth on every single human being in this room. And despite their sins, their failures, their stories, you love them right where they're at. You sent Jesus to redeem them and uh, to fill them and to walk with you. And so, oh, Holy Spirit, would you move and encourage hearts in this room? Oh, Lord, would you change us to look more like you? Would we come under your good grace and your leadership in our lives that we might honor you and reflect you to this world all the more? We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.